Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. Hey there, ho there. Oh. <laughs> How's it going? A little hey, a little ho. A little hey, hey, ho, ho, hey. What's up? What do you got for us today, Holly? Well, Carol, I'm glad you asked. Um, today I'm going to be doing a real fun story for you. Um, I'm going to be doing The Pigman of Angola, New York. Cool. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah, I thought so too. You know what? My story's also from New York. Really? Yeah. Well, here you go, New York. This is for you, I guess. New York, start spreading the news. New York. We're leaving today. Places where the pig man will visit. You can't <laughs> even hear him. Whoa. Okay. So we are going to begin our story uh, way back in 1855. Not 1899. Not or 1899. Or 1923. Or, 1910. or 1883. Or n- none of those. Yeah. 1855. Okay. Let me write this down. A new date to remember. <laughs> new date to remember. Uh, it begins when Eliza Derricks, and I think I'm saying that correctly. Um, it's a male, E-L-I-S-A, Eliza Derricks. Um, and they also mentioned that it's a pseudonym, so I don't know what the real name was. But this person, Eliza Derricks, settled in Angola near the town's railroad tracks. Eliza was poor, but he built a home and he married, and he and his wife had two sons, Henry and Loring. They lived on Old Holland Road, which was a rural road on the edge of town. They also lived close to a bridge that the trains would use to cross over a Big Sister Creek, which ran next to their homestead. The legend is said that Eliza taught his two sons to walk up and down the train tracks looking for coal that had dropped off the locomotives as they zoomed by on their way to their destinations. You see, back in those days, trains were fueled by steam, and to generate that steam, they used the heat supplied by pot-bellied stoves and the burning of the coal that sat in the front and back of the cars on the train. The boys would find these pieces of coal that would fly off the trains and bring them home for the family to use for their own heating. Smart, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those are good kids. Good kids. One day in December of 1867, while the boys were searching the tracks looking for coal, they decided that a few of the railroad ties would be perfect for a fence they needed to repair on their property. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Not good. So they innocently took the ties from the track to use on their fence. Then on December 18th, 1867, the Lakeshore Express barreled through the area on its way to Buffalo, New York. As the train started over the bridge that crossed Big Sister Creek, there was a definite rumbling and shaking of the cars. However, the train seemed to be okay and continued on. That was until the last two cars started over the bridge. Suddenly, the shaking got much worse, and much to the horror of those on the train, the last car and the second-to-last car detached from the train and spiraled 30 to 50 feet down into the creek bed below. The cars turned over on themselves multiple times, smashing the passengers in those cars against the walls of the train, their baggage, and each other. But as the train landed upended in the creek, the passengers piled in a heap at the bottom of the train. They were soaked in kerosene that drenched them as they were spun around in the train. 
The hot coals from the potbelly stove at the other end of the train showered down upon them and ignited them when it hit their kerosene-drenched bodies. They started to burn alive. Oh, my gosh. I know. Screams of horror and pain could be heard emanating from the train as people rushed to help extract them from the wreckage. As the rescuers came closer, they could smell the burning of their flesh. In all, 50 people died in what became known as the Angola Horror. Some of the bodies exhumed from the wreckage were so badly charred, there was really no way to recognize them except perhaps by dental work. Also, in an interesting side note, it was said that John D. Rockefeller was supposed to be on the train that day, and he would have been sitting in that very last train car as he was running late that morning. But fortunately for him, his luggage made it onto the train, but he did not. This that's train lucky That's for very him. lucky, right? This train wreck helped to push through new inventions for safer train travel, like the invention of air brakes that engineers could use to stop the trains faster. And probably because he was so relieved to not perish in the Angola horror, yes. Rockefeller pushed for a train oil that would burn at a much higher temperature, 300 degrees in fact, before it would catch on fire. When this oil was developed, Rockefeller sold it to train and steamboat companies to help create a safer use of these transportation vehicles. Wow. Yes, that was some good. good. He did do some good. You know, I bet that whole area is really haunted by the ghosts of and all those victims. They do say that's true, that they believe that the spirits are definitely in that part of the oh, world, for sure. It, it's a terrible way to die. Horrible way to die. So eventually, the terrible event was proven to be an accident of natural circumstance. It was said that when the train went over a quote-unquote frog or a crossing point of two rails, it jarred the train's wheel loose, and that is what caused the two train cars to derail, ultimately. It seemed that the Derrick family was off the hook, but they seemed to stay reclusive from the town of Angola, perhaps out of guilt, perhaps they were suspected of the disaster after all, or they just weren't that social of people. Anyways, the sons, Henry and Lorraine, grew up and both married. Henry moved into town while Lorraine stayed at the family home on Holland Road with his bride, a woman named Betsy Crabtree. Betsy was also a bit of a recluse and an outcast in her hometown as her parents had been first cousins. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so she wasn't that popular either, I guess. <laughs> um, Henry was not doing well in the town of Angola. Some strange fires had started up in the town and many suspected Henry was the arsonist. He eventually got so fed up with the treatment he received from the townspeople that he left the town for good. But unfortunately for Loring, that meant that the town's ire turned towards him. He too was looked down upon and gossiped about. So, in an attempt to make peace, Lorraine volunteered to light the town's fireworks for their 4th of July celebration <laughs> in 1911. That's not really smart to let the arsonist brother <laughs> light well, the fireworks. They probably trusted that he knew a lot about fire. <laughs> And, you know, they were lived close to that fiery train wreck and they were collecting coal for fire. The brothers seemed to like to set fires. You know, it made a lot of sense. Sure. Let the brother. Sure. Fire, fire. Yeah. Okay. Carry on. <laughs> um, however, in his attempt at lighting the fireworks, it ended in disaster when some falling sparks from his lighter sprinkled the top of some of the rockets that were not set up to be lit yet. The rocket's fuses ignited and the rocket shot around the town, injuring spectators and piercing the arm of a young boy. Oh. The town was sued for $11,500 to cover the damages. Of course, this caused the town to hate Lorraine even more, so he returned to his home on Holland Road and became reclusive again. 
Meanwhile, Lorreen and 19-year-old Betsy became pregnant with their son, William. They were overjoyed when they found out that they were pregnant with him, but their joy turned to horror when he was born. William was born with something called frontonasal dysplasia, which resulted in terrible facial deformities, including a very wide nose bridge, upturned nostrils, separated eyes, and a cleft palate. It's like looking at someone whose face didn't fully mold together in the womb, and yes, he did resemble a pig. The woman who worked as their midwife was aghast at the sight of the child and tried to convince the young parents to put William into an asylum at once. She actually even wrote to many medical professionals as well, but to no avail, William stayed home with his reclusive parents and away from society. That would be hard. Especially when you're already an outcast in your community, and then here's another thing that you have to be an outcast Mm -hmm. about. It's like... I don't know. These fam- this family was just... So for those who did hear about the boy and his terrible face, they assumed that it was probably punishment for all of the terrible misdeeds that the Derricks were suspected of doing or some kind of curse had befallen the family or the fact that his mother was a product of inbreeding that maybe the ding, family... Ding, ding. <laughs> Choice family, number three. Yeah. The, maybe the family had this coming, you yeah. know? So, um, but that's sad. I don't think that they did because I don't think that they necessarily were trying to hurt anybody, you know, so if any of that stuff is true. Uh, Regardless, the young parents kept a very low profile. In 1919, fate befell the young William Derricks when he was out wandering the railroad tracks. Just in the nick of time, a one-armed boxer named Theodore Miller swept William off the tracks before a passing train hit him. William was just a small boy at the time of his rescue, but he remained friends with Miller throughout his whole life. Miller took pity on William and his pig-like appearance because he too had a deformity, only having one arm. When William grew up, he met a butcher who lived just down the road from his house on Holland Road. The butcher offered William a job cleaning up the unused animal parts and blood after he was done cutting away the meat from their bodies. William took on the job and was happy for it. (laughs) Yeah, great. Oh, wow. Then one day, Theodore Miller, the man that saved William's life when he was a boy, came by and told William about another way he could make money. Miller told William about the P.T. Barnum and Bailey Circus and Rip- ah. Ripley's Believe It or Not sideshows. He told William he could make money just for looking the way that he did. This prospect was exciting for William, and he jumped at the chance to make money and travel around the country. So he left his house on Holland Road to join the circus. Though he enjoyed the circus life, William eventually returned to his home on Holland Road. He was offered a job at the landfill next to his home and decided that it would be easy money, so he took the job. When people would bring their own garbage, he would tell them where to leave it. Then he would go through their discarded items and then take what he wanted. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) Sounds a lot like uh, what people do in Portland. Yeah, pretty much. Eventually, William does take a wife. Her name is Mildred Crabtree, and William knows her well. Because she's his first cousin. Of course. (laughs) Where else is he going to meet a pretty girl around here, right? Um, As the 1950s approach, William works sometimes for the traveling sideshows and sometimes at the dump collecting lots of junk. Soon his home is filled with odd items he collects from the sideshows and the junk that he gets at the landfill. He and Mildred become hoarders. I knew you were going to say that. I'd like to see an episode of Hoarders that features these two. Yeah. Interesting. They eventually have one son and maybe twin daughters, though there is no record of them. However, because of the terrible reputation William's family had in town, he and his family became the target of looky-loos and terrible teens looking for a good scare by seeking out the pigman. 
They would wander down Old Holland Road, which had become dilapidated, overgrown, and filled with potholes. They would look for the pig man and taunt him. He eventually turned to his butcher friend down the road and asked him for leftover pig heads, which he would put on spikes in his front yard oh, to deter anyone no. from coming near him, his family, or his stuff. That is so gross. <laughs> it's pretty gross. He was tired of being harassed by the people of the town, and he felt that the pig heads would be scary and disturbing enough to keep people away. I think he's right about I, that. I think he's right. <laughs> in November of 1966, William's wife, Mildred, passed away. It was said that their children were sent to live with other relatives, and William was left alone. It is believed that Mildred, as well as William's parents, are buried on the property where his house sat. As Holland Road continued to decline and the overgrowth of the area continued to take over, less and less people would drive down the road. The bridges became covered in graffiti, and all of the road's residents moved away with the exception of two households. One was William Derrick's. Holland Road became more and more of a spooky hotspot for teens to go to. However, reports started to come out about a man coming up to the cars of these teens while they were inside making out. It just spooked a lot of the kids. When the police questioned William about it, he simply denied it was him. A few kids even claimed that they were chased from the area by someone in a 1960s truck. However, the police had no evidence that William had done anything wrong. Eventually, the police showed up to William's house again when a man working for a utility company ended up missing. The last area he was seen in was around Holland Road. When police arrived at William's home, they found a strange group of people living in the residence, as well as an 11-year-old boy and many animals. But William Derricks was not among them. They also said the house was, quote, packed with newspapers, feces, animals, and junk, end oh, quote. Oh, God. Yeah, gross. Hoarders. Yuck, yuck. You know what I was thinking? Huh. There's a lot of hybrids from uh, New York. You know, Spider-Man's from oh, there. Oh, that's true. And I was, I was kind of thinking, like, I wonder if he knows the pig man and if they'd be friends or enemies. Well, pop culture has taught us, if anything, pop culture has taught us that pigs and spiders have a long, loving history <laughs> towards one another. Perhaps Spider-Man could web. put a little web up that says, some great pig man. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? They join yes. forces to fight evil together. Yes, I love <laughs> or, it. Pig man could be Spider-Man's arch nemesis, but at the end they come together to yes. fight uh, Templeton the rat. There you go. Yeah, that might be what they do. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, everyone. <laughs> However, before officials could return to remove the child and the animals from the home, the house itself burned to the ground on Halloween night, 1973. Ooh, that's ominous. Halloween? Halloween, yeah. Mm. No bodies were found inside of the home, and they were unable to determine how the fire had started. It was assumed that William Derricks died in the fire. However, that is where the legend of the pig man really begins. Oh, really? Here we go. Yes, here's where the paranormal part of this comes in. Fishermen and hunters would come home with stories of finding strange makeshift huts in the woods, caves, and feeling like they were being watched around the old Holland Road area. Trash piles would appear along the roadway and then disappear. Dead animal bodies would be found strung about. The area was also visited by many groups of strange, unusual people, the theory being that they were friends of the pigman from his sideshow days. It's like hmm. the bearded man and yeah. the alligator woman. And right. The, <laughs> uh, five years. And the tarot reader. And the tarot. Don't forget the tarot, yeah, tarot the tarot reader. reader shows up. Uh, five years to the day of the fire destroying William Derrick's house, the only other home left on that end of Holland Road also burned down on October 31st, 1978. Uh. The owner of the home had been away on vacation and returned to find his house in ashes. No explanation could be found for that fire either. 
However, the homeowner did find small piles of his things throughout the woods behind his old house or his burned down house, I should Mm -hmm. say. Then in the 1980s, Holland Road was repaved and repaired and new lighting was installed. Now it is traveled by a new generation of teenagers. The stories of paranormal activity abound down this road, many claiming to have encounters with the pig man himself. People claim to have been chased by a vehicle that seemingly disappears, like a 1960s pickup truck. Oh, wow. Strange lights in the woods, cries, screams, or pig squeals coming from the woods. Pig squeals. Yeah. You know, I... I'm thinking, do they think it's the ghost of the pig man? I think so. That he did die and it's just the ghost haunting? Perhaps. Or he's still alive. I, think that, I don't think he'd still be alive today. But I think that, yeah, at this point, modern day stories, I think they think it's the ghost of the pig man. Okay. Yeah. Um, they will see sightings or shadow figures, uh, disappearing trains on the bridge, strange smells, and personal electronics failing or acting quite strange. The TV show Hometown Horror on the Travel Channel covered the story of the Pigman. As the episode goes, one resident of Angola, a guy named Mark Zilski, Zilski, D-Z-I-E-L-S-K-I, I'm not sure how to say his last name, and his friends decided to see if the rumors about Holland Road were true. So in 2004, they drove down the road one night and stopped the car. They are out in the middle of nowhere. They honk the horn as per tradition when you're trying to summon the pigman. They were laughing and having fun as they were waiting for the pigman to arrive. Then suddenly they start hearing a strange noise outside of their car. This is so every ghost story. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're sitting in the car in the middle of the woods. Don't go outside and explore. Just well, don't. That's not the advice they took. Oh, whatever it was, it started circling the car. No. And then one of the kids was so scared. He jumped out of the car and took off running. That's very dumb. That's dumb. Then they looked up and they see the silhouette of something in front of them that is roughly six and a half feet tall. And it squeals at them like a pig. <laughs> the figure was coming straight towards them, Carol. And the, the friend that jumped out of the car realized his mistake and ran back to the car. <laughs> let me in, let me in, let me in. Finally, he gets in the car. They finally get that damn car started and they take off, totally freaked out. They return to Angola to share their story with their friends and to confirm that the pig man was real. Oh, he's real. In 2015, another guy, uh, Connor Quilos, who grew up in Angola, said that when he was a teen, he and a few of his friends, Mike Kowalski and Kevin Schoenbacher, looking at you guys, went down Holland Road in the daytime to look for the pig man. Nothing of note happened to them. So they well, left. It was daytime. I know, right? So they left and they went back to Connor's house. Connor's parents were out of town, so they had the house to themselves. But when they arrived, Mike stayed outside to call his girlfriend on his cell phone. As Mike is on the phone, the other boys go inside the house. As Mike is talking to his girlfriend, he starts hearing noises coming from the woods around Connor's house. And he keeps getting a glimpse of a figure in the trees. After a while, something starts throwing rocks at him. So he calls for Connor and Kevin to come out. Yeah, that sounds like Bigfoot throwing the rocks. Might be. He points towards the area where he saw the figure and explains about the rocks. But finally, Mike gets angry and scared and he gets in his car and he leaves, leaving Connor and Kevin befuddled in Connor's yard. Kevin decides he wants to leave too, but his keys were still inside Connor's house. So he turns to go back to the house, but then stops when he sees somebody walk by the window inside Connor's house. He tells Connor what he saw, and Connor's like, that's impossible. My parents are out of town. There's nobody in my house. 
Finally, the two work up the courage to go inside and get Kevin's keys. As they walk through the house, they check the different rooms and they start to hear creaking noises. Oh, God. Like something's walking around in the house as well. No, no, no. Eventually, they got so wigged out, they just grabbed the keys and ran out. They believed that they were followed to Connor's house by the, the pig, pig man. man. Yes. Oh, wow. They believed the pig man followed them there. Another Angola resident named Phil Beth also went down, quote, Pigman Road, end quote, as the locals call it, or Holland Road, as we know in this story. Same thing. He drove down the road at night as a teenager with some buddies. After they passed under the second bridge, they pulled over, parked, and started walking around. As they are walking around, they hear a strange sound, like something is scraping on metal in the tunnel under the bridge, which is a creepy sound. Yes. They felt like they were being watched. Then they see something in the shadows of the bridge. All they could see was a big, dark shape. A big, dark shape that is now starting to growl at them. <laughs> As they stare at it, Phil gets freaked out, so he tells his friends, Hey, let's go. The group gets back in the car, but as they are getting ready to leave, Phil sees a light coming up behind them. He can't see anything beyond the red light that is illuminating the entire back window of the car. Oh, wow. So he starts yelling at the driver, Go, 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 go. And the driver is like, I'm trying. And he's got the car started. His foot is fully dead on the gas, but the car is not moving. It just stays in place. Is it suspended and it can't get any traction? Phil keeps screaming at him to move, move, move. But they finally realize that something is holding the back end of the car up. So they what? can't move. Right. Suddenly, they feel the car drop back onto the road and they peel out and take off. Phil has no idea what could have picked up their car like that. When they finally got to safety, they pulled over and Phil looked at the back bumper and found long, thin fingerprints on two spots of the dusty bumper on the back of the car. So was the pig man a big dude? I don't know. I don't know how big he was. That, he'd have to be very strong. I mean, who can lift a car like that? I know. Paranormal entity. Yeah. Something with human-like hands that lifted up their car and delayed them from leaving. So, I don't know. Uh, Angelica Ramos tells the story about she and some friends deciding to go to Pigman's Road. Her sister drove them out to the road, and it was late at night when they pulled onto the road. Suddenly, she said their radio stopped working. Their headlights blinked out and the car died. Then they heard a pig squealing around them. They felt overcome with negative energy and they could not move. Finally, after a few minutes, they snapped out of it and the car started back up. And when they got home, Angelica was sick. So she went to the hospital and she was told her appendix was about to burst. She was normally a very healthy person, so she was in shock that she was having trouble with her appendix. As soon as Angelica had her surgery to have her appendix removed, her sister, who had driven them out that night, was diagnosed with a hole in her heart. What? She said that her sister was also very healthy, and she thinks that the negative energy that they experienced maybe caused these health conditions. That's freaky. It is freaky. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. So um, the hometown horror show does also suggest that William Derricks had had a mental breakdown in the 1970s and actually murdered two teens that he found near his property and then replaced the pig heads in front of his house with their heads. But I think that that's just added for the fun of the show. I don't okay, think there's any real truth so. to that. Yeah, that's I don't think so. Awful. Yeah, it's just more fun for their, you know, fictional tale. Mm -hmm. So now this is a really fun story, but my guess is the majority of the story is made up for television. Mm -hmm. I actually found a blog post by a guy named Jason Roberts called The Legend of Pigman. Roberts loves to research where urban legends come from. So, of course, when he stumbled across the same historical stories of the pigman that I had, 
He was very excited that such a person existed. But once he started to do the research himself, he said that is when his hope turned to doubt. First off, he started to explore the Angola horror, which was a real train wreck. However, he found no evidence of there ever being a cover-up or even a hint of a cover-up for the Derricks family. The story of the one-armed boxer saving the young boy from the train tracks was indeed a true story. Oh, good. But the child rescued was not a pig-faced boy. Hmm. He also could find no evidence of a missing utility worker in the area, as was purported in the original story. And Roberts could also find no evidence of the fireworks disaster or the other strange fires that had been set around the town. However, he did finally find someone he thought fit the bill of the pigman. He was able to find a man named William Bill Dirks, who had a severe face deformity, three eyes, a split nose, and a cleft palate. He shared the same birthday as the pigman of Angola, New York, and he did work in the circus. Oh, Ev- there you go. Yep. Eventually, he married a woman named Mildred, also known as the alligator-skinned woman. Unfortunately, Roberts can find no record of Dirks ever living in Angola, New York. So there you have it. To pigman or not to pigman, I ask. Whether he is a real monster, I don't know, but it still makes for a pretty good story. I think it's a great story, and it reminds me of a story I heard in Texas, and I wonder if yes. um, maybe the William from the circus that, would you say, Roberts discovered um, existed, maybe he's the pigman of Texas. There's a story going around there, the pigman of Bonnie Bray Bridge. Um, I've heard about that in my research as well. Yeah. And there's one which says, you know, there's a hunter out chasing wild boar when there's like some sort of incident of lycanthropy or lycan. How do you say that? I think think that's right. Josh will correct us if we're wrong. Yeah. (laughs) He's bit. Well, he's bitten by a boar or pig and then doomed to haunt the area as half man, half pig hybrid or kind of thing. Man, bear, pig. Half man, bear, pig. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe a bear came out and bit him too. Maybe he got bit by a bear and a pig and he was a man. So therefore he has to become man, bear, pig. Yeah. Yeah. There's something going on. There's something going on. We'll get to the bottom of it. Well, I love your story. Thank you. That's the pig man of Angola, New York. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Carol's been bit by a boar. She's turning into a pig man in front of me. (laughs) Bum, bum, bum. (laughs) So, Carol, what do you have for us today? No hybrid creatures. I do have a good ghost story. Oh, good. I like good ghost stories. My story is also in New York. Oh, Um, it's the Ackley House Haunting. Mm -hmm. And this is a fascinating case regarding property law called the Ghostbuster Ruling. Really? That's awesome. It's the first house that has been considered legally haunted. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. You know, when you think of a really haunted house, you just always assume there's some sort of tragic incident on the property right like some kind of trauma murder yeah yeah something awful that happened in the house yes but this is not the case uh the woman who lived in the house helen ackley wrote an article about it um for reader's digest and it's caused widespread media attention mm. um but a little bit about where this house is located mm-hmm. it's 25 miles northwest of manhattan okay it's a very affluent neighborhood mm-hmm. and really um you know attractive for those families that are trying to grow and expand their family from like two to four to six to eight people used to have <laughs> bigger families. families back then yes and 
only thing I could find about this property that was unique is that um, this area was close to Sleepy Hollow. Oh, cool. You know, where the Headless Horseman yeah. was written about. Yes. Any um, any area close to Sleepy Hollow. Must yeah. Be pretty cool. In Terrytown. Yeah. Um, and then there was also a mill at one time in that area. Okay. But other than that, I didn't find much else. And um, But because it's so close to Sleepy Hollow, everybody loves the local folklore I'm going sure. around about I'm that. I'm sure Halloween's a big deal there. <laughs> yep. And of course, this is a beautiful Victorian home mm. built in 1890 with three stories, uh -huh. um, eight bedrooms, and four bathrooms. Wow, I like how many house. bathrooms it has. Yeah. yeah. Must have so, been a grand palace in its time. Mm -hmm. Which is good because um, the family is pretty large as well. Mm -hmm. um, two parents, Helen and George, and their four kids. Okay. They lived there from the 60s to 90s. Okay. And uh, George was the first who moved in. He wanted to go ahead of the family and do some repairs on the house. It was kind of in a state of repair and needing remodeling. Yeah. So he went there first um, to get some things done, some plumbing and things like that. And he was a little bit unsettled. He had a lot of different paranormal experiences. Mm. Initially, he thought he could hear footsteps in the house above him. So he was convinced somebody was Ugh. in the property Creepy, with him. Yeah. And so he would try and walk up, you know, the staircase to catch them. And every time he'd go up, he wouldn't find anybody. But one time, just as he was reaching the top of the landing, he saw what looked to be like a foot wearing a moccasin oh, slipper. Yeah. yeah. Uh, go around the corner really Ooh, quick. Jeez. Okay. Yeah, but then, you know, nobody's there, of course. Sure. So. Huh. Um, also a plumber. I'd be, I'd be selling the house. Yeah. No. <laughs> and he didn't want to alarm the family because they hadn't even moved in yet. So he kept a lot of these experiences close to the vest. Like yeah. he didn't talk about it with anybody. Yeah. Um, I think he just still wasn't convinced it wasn't somebody hiding well, out. You're getting your ready to move your whole family in there. You probably don't want to think, oh my gosh, um, you know, this is a bad idea. Uh, you just want them <laughs> everything to work out. So you probably just are in denial. Yeah. You're like, I'm not going to even deal with this because it'll be fine. Right. And the plumber who was working on the plumbing even all, you know, was convinced somebody was in the house. So when Helen did come with the children, mm -hmm. he didn't like her being alone at uh -huh. all in the house. He just wanted to always make sure, you know, she was going to be okay or if, you know, somebody was going to be in there with her. Yeah. Uh, and so he just also was very unsettled. And, you know, a little bit about the house. I mean, there could have been a squatter, but there was no reports of anything like that. The house was vacant for about seven years before they bought it. Uh, there is a little path, like a walking path along the Hudson River. Mm -hmm. And all these homes, their back lawns are connected. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you can kind of envision it. The walking path goes yeah. behind the property. Yeah. So it's very easy for somebody to go up and be attracted to a vacant property. Kind of like the promenade in Seaside? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like picturing. that. Yeah. Um, but there were no reports of that happening. One day, Helen was outside doing some tidying up with the lawn, some weeding, when two kids came up to her and said, Hey, lady, are you moving into the haunted house? What? <laughs> what do you mean the haunted house? Yeah, kind of curious about why they were saying that. They're like, um, so is this just a rumor, kids, or have you personally experienced something? And they were mm. like, oh, yeah. 
We see ghosts in the windows all the time. Shut up. You do not. Yes. So (laughs) Helen's like, all right, kids, come on in. You'll see for yourself. You should check out the house. There's no ghosts. Especially the basement and the attic. Yeah. No, she gave them milk and cookies Mm, and the kids were never seen from or heard again. I bet they weren't. The end. Goodbye. (laughs) That was it. The Ackley House haunting. I I believe that it's haunted. Yes. (laughs) So... One one thing was that when George was there, he never slept with a light on her husband before in their former property. He starts sleeping with the light on. Yeah. And she's like, um, do you want me to turn off the light that's left on? And he's like, no, we're going to keep it on. So. <laughs> Night lights for everybody. Night lights for everybody. One day she was repainting the parlor room and a man was dressed in like war colonial attire. Mm-hmm. Um, she just turned around and described him as this rosy cheeked man with a really kind smile, you know, immaculate clothing. And she asked him, mm-hmm. do you like the paint color I've chosen for the room? And he says, yes. And then just disappears. If you were in the middle of painting your living room. <laughs> and you turn around and there's a man standing there in period clothing with rosy cheeks. Are you going to be, a, what do you think of the paint color? I think I'm going to be like, who the fuck are you? And what are you yes, doing in my house? That is a good point. You know, when she was writing her stories, yeah. I wonder if she was taking a lot of creative liberties with them. I because mean, she's real relaxed about this mm-hmm. happening. Like, yeah, she, she was yeah. in taking creative writing classes mm. and her teacher encouraged her to publish her ghost stories. So was she doing any acid no. or <laughs> any heroin cocaine combos? No, I don't sure think so. It that? was during the late 60s, though. But yeah. So there so you go. We're starting to put it together mm-hmm. now. Uh-huh. Okay. So Cynthia, the daughter, she, you know, is probably the most vocal of all the children that were living there at the time. I think she was 15 mm-hmm. when, you know, a teenager when all this was happening. And a lot of this activity was that, you know, they'd be sitting around in full view of everyone. You know, the French doors would just fly open or the shutters on the windows would just rattle and they would get up and just calmly close the doors again. Did they think, you know, oh, just a gust of wind blew through the house? They just didn't really even talk about it. They just tried to pretend everything was normal. But one day, Cynthia was saying that, like, the, her bed started rattling every morning at the same time. Oh, that's right creepy. before her alarm clock would go off. Weird. It would just shake violently. And she, her response to that would not be the normal response either. Yeah. Like, she thought the ghost was just trying to prevent her from oversleeping her alarm for school. So it's a friendly ghost. She like thinks of it as like a friendly ghost. Hmm. But why would you need to shake the bed violently? Like well, that's a very startling way to wake up. Maybe it starts off as a gentle rocking. And then by the time she wakes up, it's shaking her really hard. <laughs> maybe some people like slow, vibrating yeah, beds. Some people do. Maybe she was into that. <laughs> you know, the Las Vegas, like one time I went to a hotel in Las Vegas and there was like coin machines that yeah, you could yeah. put coins in and make and your bed z- vibrate. Yeah. It was oh, a yeah. long, long time ago. They should bring those back. Yeah. <laughs> Because we all know where I stand on the vibrating bed. Yeah. So she she talked to her mom about it because she was really annoyed that it was like holiday break and Mm -hmm. it kept, you know, happening. And she's like, I don't need to be woken up early. It's my holiday break. Well, her mother was like, 
okay, just talk to the ghost. Right. The ghost will listen. So that's exactly what she did. She went into her room and she said, hey, ghost, I'm on holiday break. Knock it off. You and guess what happened? Civil War soldier to leave yeah. you alone. And, and guess what happened? Keep his eyes and his hands to himself. What happened? <laughs> she did no bed rattling. Yeah. Because he was it kept respectful. Her, yeah. It like, kept okay. her, kept her, you know, sleeping in during her holiday break. So that, it was that's all cool. good. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So one day they were out talking and they found out that their neighbor, Scott, he claimed that it was his grandfather that built their home. Okay. And one of the strange features about it is that the front wraparound porch uh-huh. lacked a railing, a safety railing. Okay. And he never admitted the house was haunted, but they were like, oh, so what's the deal with the front porch not having a safety railing? And he said, well, grandpa, you know, what he was told is that his grandpa told him, well, anybody who was reckless enough to stand that close to the edge deserved it. Deserved, you know, the <laughs> whatever happened. And a nice a nice touch that he added were these sharp barberry bushes underneath the porch. <laughs> so he sounds like into a, that. Yeah, he sounds like a fun guy. He would have been he? so arrested by DHS mm-hmm. by this point if he were alive today. Yeah. Like, what do you mean there's no safety railings? What? <laughs> yeah. Who do you think you are? We're right. taking your children, sir. one day um you know helen is sitting at her dining room table or little sitting room table and she's looking out onto the river and kind of like this meditative state when she says she just gets these chills up and down her spine something very scary is happening and she feels a very evil entity next to her Uh oh she calls out and she says i'm very scared I'm frightened right now. And she said immediately what happened is a very calming, soothing presence sweeped in. Mm. And she felt like, you know, whatever uh, spirit was there was shooing out a negative entity. I am feeling very hungry right now. And I would like to not feel that way. Who are you talking to me? I am <laughs> calling in the spirit of hunger suppression <laughs> and it's i don't think there's a spirit not... of hunger depression it doesn't work like catholic saints where there's like a ghost for every need and situation there you know like be, though do you know that there are like catholic spirit or saints for different things yes i think there's a hungry saint is there, a, there? a saint for hunger i think so mm. well i don't know what it would be i'm not noticing any change in my appetite no that's cool though that's cool it sounds like the whole family is psychically open Mm -hmm. mom dad and the cynthia yeah i love it when cynthia describes going into her room one day she's really really tired and you know when you're in that really groggy state sometimes you're just kind of open to kind of being like almost dreaming awake Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's convinced she saw a spirit. She walked into a room and she saw this lady dressed in this white gown mm. sitting at her vanity table, brushing her long hair. Mm. Yeah. So and spooky. they both acknowledge each other. Hello. Nodding. Hello. And eventually, because Cynthia is now realizing you can speak to ghosts, mm-hmm. tells her, okay, now I'm ready for bed. <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> shoe on. finish brushing your hair move, somewhere else? Move on now. Shoe, shoe. And right after she states that, the lady ghost gets up and just disappears. 
And people say, you know, mirrors can be portals. Yes. So maybe that she sucked how, herself into the mirror. Yeah, she just went bloop into the dressing mirror. I wouldn't I be looking into the dressing mirror. I don't mirror know after how you that. go to sleep after that. Like, you wouldn't. Is she gonna come back and watch me while I'm sleeping? <laughs> is she gonna fondle my perfect breasts while I'm yeah. asleep? I don't you, know. You wouldn't. You'd be very unsettled. Yeah. And the thing about this house and this family is just like they take everything in stride, right? Except for George. George is a sensible one. He is not comfortable with it at all. No, and he shouldn't be. So in her late 30s, Cynthia moves out and her husband passes away, mm -hmm. sadly. Mm -hmm. And years later, she moves back home with her three kids back to the family house. And she says she, you know, is still seeing the, the ghosts. Mm -hmm. Her mother is there. And her second husband that she remarries, um, Mark, is staying with her. And he wakes up in the middle of the night and he sees this woman, wakes up uh, Cindy and says, hey, there's this woman wearing a white gown. She's like over there in the corner. And Cynthia's like, yeah, I know her. Don't worry about it. She brushing her hair. I see her all the time. <laughs> We're good friends. Yeah. <laughs> so the whole town started to know about it. And so I just find it interesting that, you know, the longer that they've been in this house, more and more people are hearing the stories. They're reading the article that was published. So it was pretty well known. A lot of media At attention. least in the area that the house was haunted. Right. And Reader's Digest is something that back then everybody read. That's right. And oh, and by the way, I will mention once Cynthia and her husband moves out, guess where they move? I have no idea. Oregon. No way. Yeah. Salem, really? Oregon. Salem. Yeah. Why, pray tell, do they move to Salem? I don't know, but they <laughs> like it. Really? So there's this other tie to Oregon. Helen is still living in the home. Okay. And she gets this phone call from a guy named Bill Merrill. And he said he and his friend, Glenn Johnson, was contacted by the ghosts who occupy their house. <laughs> What are the chances of that? You're a medium and this ghost comes and talks to you and says, and hi, live, uh, I'm living across the country in New York. Yeah. So these ghosts, they call themselves Sir George and Margaret. And yes, they are from the colonial war period. Same time period as, you know, the man that Helen saw. So that's like revolutionary war time. Is I think that, so. Colonial okay. times. Yeah. 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 So the book is basically a documentation of their medium messages that they're receiving from these ghosts who describe their whole life living in this town, in the Ackley home, and everything that transpired with them. So it was very interesting, but it's out of print. You can't read it. Too bad. And <laughs> It's too bad. Yeah. And so it's really curious because you can't really prove it. And they did you know, have access to that article. It would be much more believable if they had contacted her before she published her article. So your your theory is that perhaps they read the Reader's Digest and they made up the rest? Well, anybody in the country could have read it. So maybe it influenced them. I'm not mm. saying that they shouldn't be believed because a lot they had a lot of detailed information. Okay. So that is curious. But why Oregon? You know, after the talented, daughter moved here, right? Yeah. So yeah. maybe an entity was really attached to her. Yeah, and weird. so it was location, location, yeah. but yeah. could anyway. be, could be. Well, many years go by. Helen is ready to sell the home. Okay. It's, you know, taxes are getting too high. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. <laughs> the house is needing more repairs now. 
And so she decides to list it with Richard Ellis Realty for, I believe it's like in the $800,000 range, which is still a lot, lot. you know, back in the day. Well, a big, beautiful Victorian house like Mm -hmm. that, I'm sure. Yeah. Not far from Manhattan. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And they would talk about the ghosts. They would joke around. So the agent definitely knew the reputation about the house. Mm -hmm. And... You know, personally, he said he had no problems with selling the home. He felt like, you know, the home was charming and would sell really easily. Mm -hmm. And they did get a buyer. So the Stambopskis offered the, you know, them the contract and put a down payment on the home Mm -hmm. and then found out from a contractor that the house was haunted. Mm. And then they wanted to renege the deal. Oh, yeah. They didn't want the ghosts that came with the They property. didn't want the ghosts. <laughs> uh, Patricia, the, uh, Richard Stambovsky's wife, was pregnant, mm-hmm. and she just didn't want the reputation associated with her family and the house. Okay. okay. So Helen was like, well, too bad. So sad. Well, I'm not going to let you out of the contract. Oh, snap. So it was he said versus she said. Okay. Helen insisted she disclosed the haunted property to them and they disclosed the story they're like no you didn't right and she said no i specifically told you the house is going to love having children again residing there but that doesn't translate to there's ghosts in the house no no that i know yeah but she's probably assuming there's no way that you could not know so okay so she assumes they know going in Mm -hmm. and that when she said well the house is just gonna love having children around that they know what she's talking about and they don't so the whole point is the sambobsky say they don't know Okay. And so they hire an attorney. This goes to court and the court dismisses it because mm-hmm. there's something that's called uh Imtor buyer wait, Imtor buyer beware. Okay. And these questions they have to be asked by the buyer. It's not on the seller unless it's a real physical defect that has to be disclosed. Mm-hmm. And this is non-physical, so you know, once he asks the buyer, hey, is your house haunted? If the seller says uh, no, and then they find out it is, that's a misstatement. And then they'd be liable. But he never really asked. Okay. It just came out mm-hmm. afterwards mm-hmm. from some random person. Okay. But the court said, well, this is immaterial and threw it out. Mm-hmm. Well, they appeal the decision and they go file a second court case. It goes all the way up to the Supreme Court of New York. Oh, wow. Damn. Yes. And the Supreme Court says, well, this whole proceeding is that because you promoted it as a haunted house, Mm -hmm. you published this article Mm -hmm. stating all these stories happened in the house. Yeah. It is now known legally as a haunted house. And now you have to recognize that there's other occupants in the home. is called the Ghostbuster Law. That's funny. And even though it's impossible to to prove there's ghosts in a court setting, um, yeah. The fact that you disclosed it publicly mm -hmm. and told everybody. Yeah, it made it legal. And everyone in the town Mm -hmm. that you, you have ghosts in there. So you are under... Um, obligation to tell any prospective buyer about that. And you didn't technically do that. Right. You technically didn't. So anyway, they settled out of court and they each got to split half of the money that they sued for. Yeah. And Helen actually came out ahead of this because then she got to resell the house again. She didn't get less than the first offer. 
you know, because there's plenty of people that love the home. It's right. a beautiful home. And so the court case probably got her some publicity. Even some more notoriety. House. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. So, so, yeah. And this Ghostbuster law, you know, I was like, oh, I'd never heard of this. It's because the law was only in effect for about six months and then it got overturned. Okay. So it really depends on where you live because... of states do function under the buyer beware clause. So, and then other states don't have that at all. Mm. But there's also states that have to disclose now if someone dies in the home. And I know Oregon doesn't have that. I wish Oregon did. I do too. I think it's really, I think it's interesting. I would want to know if I were buying a house. I do too, because it really does influence the environment. Yeah. I, I definitely believe that. Yes. So she ends up selling the home. And what's interesting about this home is that there seems to be high turnover. Oh. The people who buy the home, they don't stay in it very long. Statistically, it does change hands more frequently than most. Hmm. And the agent, you know, people have interviewed him since. He Hmm. says, yeah, I believe there is an energy in the home pushing them out. Oh, so they don't like the new people. They don't like the new people. So they fuck with them until they go. Yeah, but but nobody who's lived in there have really come out with ghost stories. So who hmm, knows? Weird. And there have been some very creative people living in there. Yeah. In the early 1990s, uh, the filmmaker who co-wrote Practical Magic. Yeah. He purchased it. Oh, cool. Is that where he wrote the movie? I don't know if that's where he wrote it. Because that would be very influential to write a movie about witchcraft yeah. in a haunted house. <laughs> he lives in Las Vegas mm. now. Oh. Uh, Ingrid Michelson. Okay. Uh, wrote, if you were falling, I'd wear your sweater or something. <laughs> what? I don't know. <laughs> okay. I think that's a book. I that's don't know. Interesting. Uh, okay. it, they didn't live there that long. Okay. Um, there was a musician came in, moved out, and you know, an anonymous person has bought it now, and it sold for over a million dollars. Yeah. So it it is quite worth a lot of money in yeah. that area now. Yeah. Well, Cynthia finally came back to do one last visit to the home. Her mother passed away in the early 2000s. They did have a memorial that was hosted by the neighbors. Okay. Well, while they were out there, one of the family members took a picture of the house and guess what they saw? What? Handprints and shadow figures pressed on the windows. Oh, I bet you Margaret and the general were missing them and like, oh my God, you guys, hi. Yeah. 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 Or maybe the mother's now haunting that house. Maybe. Maybe her spirit is there and she's like looking at herself going, you you wore that to my, my funeral? <laughs> that oh, isn't dear. black. That's white. That's... Why are you wearing white to my funeral? Yes. <laughs> I would not have worn that. Yeah. So... You might want to ask what happened to the Stan Bobskis. What happened to the Stan Bobskis? Do you know they purchased um, Susan Sarandon's house that was filmed in the Stepwives movie? Oh, no. Stepwives Club. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. So they made out, too. Wow. Good for them. My God. So happy endings all around. Oh, that's nice. That's yeah. nice. Well, that's my ghost story. That was pretty good. That's interesting. I didn't know there was even a law on the books about a haunted house or I didn't either. And how you sell them. And apparently there was. Oh, that's very interesting. And it's it's fitting that it's in New York because it's, you know, one of the first states to be settled. So you're going to start yeah. seeing more hauntings in mm-hmm. older parts of the country than maybe you would out here. That we're not as, we haven't lived out here as long as New York has been settled. Oregon's younger. Yeah. I just don't understand when you get the opportunity to speak to a ghost, 
You really need to interview them. I want to know. I want to know a lot of things. Not just, do you like my paint color? Not just, what do you think of the paint color? Oh, I like it. I guess you're kind of in shock, so your brain doesn't function. But So weird. FYI, if any of you guys out there get to talk to a ghost. Yeah. Don't just yeah. make a small talk. Make your list of questions. Have it ready. What's it like on the other yes. side? <laughs> That's what we would like to know. We would. Or like if you're by Sleepy Hollow, be like, is yeah. there a headless horseman <laughs> over there? Is that legend based in fact <laughs> or myth? Is there man pig goat? Man, man bear pig? Is man he bear real? pig. Is he real? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we got for you guys tonight. Thanks, guys. Say Thanks. We'll see you next time. Bye. Though he enjoyed the circus life, William, William, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, the police showed up to William's house again when a man working for a utility company ended up missing him. <laughs> However, that is where the legend... Fuck, I fucked this up last time, too. <laughs> another guy named Phil Beth. Uh, he was another Angola resident. I'm going to say this again. I'm fucking it up. I wonder, yeah, it sounds almost like a UFO intervention, mm. like they're about ready to get abducted or something, something. especially um, with the red light. Yeah. Or maybe it's a red light district or something. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was Spider-Man. <gasps> Three store, uh, store stories. Oh, sorry. Store, store stories. <laughs> well known that the house was haunted. Mm. I'm going to say that again okay. because I was kind of thinking and talking very slow, like yeah, somebody who's on drugs. All right. So, yeah. So what was I saying? <laughs> <laughs> that the woman had published the article and made it very clear to everybody that her house was haunted. As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts and all dolls are definitely haunted. guys be sure to follow us on instagram our handle is at fireside phantoms if you have a spooky story you would like to share with us send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode